Hello, and welcome to At Home with Ashley G. I'm Ashley Grunwald, a real estate agent, mother of two, living in Raleigh, North Carolina with my husband, Jed. I hope you will join me as we discuss all things that begin in the home, such as family, marriage, faith, parenting, organizing, and plus a sprinkle of real estate. I look forward to building a community with you as we navigate the joys of owning a home and making it our safe haven for our family because home is where it all begins. Hi everyone, it's Ashley Grunwald with Hunter Row Real Estate, and this is my friend, Meredith Delbridge. She um, and I became friends through church and then through counseling setting, and then um, we've had real estate interactions. So we have lots of different back backgrounds that have brought us together, thankfully. But today we're gonna be talking about eating disorders. So it's just going to be a conversation between Meredith and I about eating disorders. Um, I'd shared with you that this is something near and dear to my heart, definitely something that I've experienced in my past. And so I wanted to just have Meredith share from her professional experience what this looks like. I think we're seeing it more and more. And um, I know a lot of the people listening are moms and have daughters. And so we just want to talk about the impact of this on our families. And I think that there's so much material here that we won't get through it all today. So we'll do another session with Meredith. So if you have questions, please send them in. So Meredith, I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us about you, your family, and then really how you became passionate about this topic. Yeah. So um, my name is Meredith and um, I have been a counselor now for, gosh, about 12 years. Um, I started my practice about 10 years ago. I have a husband, Greg. We've been married um, about six and a half years and I have a, a new kindergartner, <laughs> Sophie. She's five. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I So I started my practice about 10 years ago. You know, I just have a heart for women. I love to just walk alongside women as they just seek to find freedom. And so that can be through you know, eating disorder recovery, but also uh, anxiety and just different things. It's funny, I, I, I was involved in a, in a ministry where I mentored women. And so that was sort of what got me interested, I think, in uh, just counseling in general. And, and then as far as the eating disorder piece goes, I think, you know, I just have such a heart for I think this is an issue that so many women struggle with. And, you know, I think we all have friends or um, ourselves, you know, people that we know who just, whether it's an eating disorder, whether it's disordered eating, body image, dieting, I mean, it is, it's everywhere. And, um, and so, you know, I felt like the Lord had just really put this on my heart to walk alongside women and help them find freedom in this way. I know I've personally had experience um, with you and and seeking freedom from this struggle as well. And so I, I would love for you to share some practical, maybe helpful coping strategies for people who struggle in this realm. What would you suggest? Yeah. So that's actually a big question. Yeah. <laughs> I could spend a lot of time on that one. Um, so I think maybe what would be helpful is for me to share a little bit about when someone comes in to see me, like what I do. So when someone comes in, maybe specifically for an eating disorder or some kind of related issue with food or body image, what I'll do is I'll sit down and have a session with them and ask a lot of questions 
and try to assess exactly what's going on and what they're dealing with. And so there's lots of different kinds of eating disorders. And so it really depends on the specific eating disorder, you know, the, the treatment plan and, and kind of the, the coping skills and the strategies that we use. Um, so some of the main eating disorders, I think that most people may, may have heard of, um, anorexia, um, bulimia, and then binge eating disorder. Those are the most common. Binge eating disorder is actually the most prevalent, the most common eating disorder um, in the U.S. right now. And typically, just based on whatever someone is dealing with, then I kind of go forward with giving them practical strategies. But the other thing I will say, and I think this is something a lot of people don't know about eating disorder counseling, is that it's often there are there's a collaborative approach that happens. So for me as a counselor, I'm not doing it all on my own. I'm I'm referring clients to see nutritionists. I'm referring them to doctors. So it's a it's a collaborative approach. We have a team where we all kind of work together with a client. And so there's a lot of moving parts. And so each person has different things that they struggle with as well. So it really just kind of depends. It's hard to speak to like specific strategies, but again, like nutrition is so important. And then just dealing with the emotions and the thoughts um, that come up in the struggle. That's, that's also something that we address in, in the counseling time. And I remember when we were meeting together, just like um, diving into just some thought patterns, belief systems, lies, or cultural, not truths, but maybe cultural lies or expectations and kind of dissecting those, like where did these thoughts come from? And then trying to bring truth to them and correct them and kind of like go out and practice life living with a different thought pattern. So I remember working through that and just discussing maybe where some of these thoughts came from to give a context for it, but then also how can we work through it to, to be thinking on truth versus these lies that we've tape recorded and hear in our head all day long. Absolutely. Yeah. All of those things are, are things that, you know, you and I were able to do together and those are things I do with most clients. And, and I think that, you know, we do hear so many messages, whether it's like through the media, through social media, through friends, through, you know, um, and, and, you know, maybe just some things that internally, we have this internal blog that we listen to that's, again, influenced by so many factors. But yeah, like just aligning, learning how to kind of align our thoughts and even feelings and, um, and ultimately our actions with, our values and truth. Um, you know, I think that those are kind of the key things that I hope to, I hope to do with people when they come in. And I think also like having, um, one acknowledging it as a struggle or whatever you want to call it, but acknowledging it for what it is and then seeking help, you know, for me, that was with you and then a community, that is a safe place to share and work through it. For me, that was the G4 ministry at the summit. So having other people with similar struggles, working through material to fight the battle, essentially. Because I think that our culture can make us believe that we don't struggle with something, that this is normal to be self-critical of our body and to exercise to the point of abusing our body and to eat a certain way that gives us a body that 
the culture has said is acceptable. So we think that these are normal, healthy life patterns until we realize we're in bondage to ourselves and to these thoughts and patterns. It's going to be really hard to get help and to seek the freedom and experience that. So I think those are some things that were helpful too and are still helpful for me and my journey. Um, and then like I remember vulnerability being a big word that we talked about, like an authentic that says, hey, I struggle with this. It doesn't define me, but it is a struggle for me. So it's not Ashley who has an eating disorder. It's Ashley who struggles with this. And it gives me a freedom to be able to come to people with a, an openness that welcomes them to, to share their struggle and to realize that they may have a struggle versus us all hiding behind this image of I, I'm not struggling. This is who I am, or this is what our culture has made type of thing. Do you see a common cause for these groups of eating disorders? Yeah. So there are lots of different causes. So mm -hmm. I kind of like to think about it in like different kind of clusters. So mm -hmm. a helpful way of, of thinking about this, but so for some people, um, you know, there's like a predisposing cause. So that would be like genetics, right? So mm -hmm. someone in your family has had an eating disorder. Um, so you're more likely to develop one yourself. Um, and that's mm -hmm. not necessarily from modeling or seeing behaviors, but it's just the way your genes are, you know, are. Right. And then there would be what we would call like precipitating factors, which are like triggers kind of like things that come up in your life that maybe, you know, like a trauma or for some people it's, you know, something like just going on a diet, which yeah. you might think like, really? Like, that's crazy. But I mean, so many people that come to me, are, you know, it's like maybe their office was, they were participating in like the biggest loser, you know, and everybody's like seeing how much weight they can lose at the office. And, you know, these things that might seem, you know, really harmless, you know, can be really harmful for some people. And so, you know, just going on a diet or for some people it might be getting involved in sports and they're an athlete and they start you know getting really active and then they just can't stop they are compulsively exercising and then it leads to you know restricting food or so there's so many different factors but i think oftentimes like dieting trauma just going through transitions in life can trigger eating disorders. There's so many different factors. Then the last one I would say, you know, perpetuating factors, which are factors that really like maybe aren't what triggered initially the eating disorder. So maybe like someone that starts out going on a diet and it kind of, it escalates, it turns into an eating disorder. The diet isn't what keeps the eating disorder going. It's maybe anxiety. Like, oh, I don't know if I can do things differently now. I'm so used to this. Like, how do I, how do I make a change? So, you know, it could be something like anxiety or just the fear of, well, I kind of how my body looks now. And, you know, I've lost a lot of weight and I don't want to change because what if that means gaining some weight back or gaining all of it back? And so there are lots of different factors that kind of get the eating disorder in motion and then what keep the eating disorder going. So there's lots of different factors. There's not just one factor that, that mm -hmm. tends to, to cause an eating disorder. And I think from my, what I remember our time together, it, I mean, the cause is not necessarily the most important. It was, it's always interesting to me to kind of figure out where things come from. It gives yeah. a context and gives a starting place of, okay, maybe that came from a childhood experience or a, yeah 
a vulnerability to it or a trauma that happened, but not focusing there too much. But again, it's a place to start. And then I I would say, and this probably falls into one of those categories, like personality could encourage or escalate um, this type of thing, different personality types, I would think you're going to find maybe more often struggling with this. And so just being aware of that, that that could be a tendency for specific personalities. Absolutely. I think stereotypically, like we see a lot of eating disorders and people with like, what we would say like type A personalities, you know, mm-hmm. people that tend to be perfectionists and achievers, overachievers. However, that is also a stereotype. And so there's people of all, you know, every different kind of person can have an eating disorder. So there's no like, you know, I think that's also, and I'll say this too, I think one of the myths about eating disorders is that we think because maybe we've seen someone that struggled with anorexia. And so we think like, we know what it looks like to have an eating disorder. It's someone that looks really, really skinny and they look like they're a skeleton. And so that's what an eating disorder looks like. And I think that that is a big misconception. Mm -hmm. people that have eating disorders, you would never know it. And so I think in some ways that can like keep eating disorders going because, you know, people think, oh, I'm not really, it's not really that bad. Or, you know, I don't look like that person. Or, you know, I saw this movie once and this is what an eating disorder is. And I'm not that. And so I think it's so important to know that I think um, for people just to hear that eating disorders can look really different from person to person. And I remember coming to you and kind of one of my initial questions of, do you believe people find freedom from this or are we just going to cope and live with it? Um, And so I'd love to hear your answer to that. I think I know your answer, but do people find freedom? Do you experience people finding freedom from this? And then how does faith play into recovery, like kind of those together. Yeah. So I always, I actually, a lot of people ask me this question and um, I always say like, I feel like my job would be really depressing if people didn't get better. That's not to say that it's easy. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really hard work and it's something that takes a lot of time and it's an investment in your energy and your life really. I mean, it's, it, it takes a lot of time, but I absolutely think that freedom is possible. Otherwise I wouldn't do this. Um, mm-hmm. It would be, so, it would be so depressing. So I think that, you know, in terms of finding freedom, I do think faith plays a huge part in that. And so um, when people come to me, so I do work with people of different faiths, but, you know, as a Christian and, you know, I do Christian counseling. So, you know, oftentimes what I tell people um, is, you know, your faith, if it is a central part of your life, like it's going to be a central part of your recovery. And just like, you know, if your faith is foundational for you, then there's nothing that your faith like won't impact in your life. And that includes recovery. Um, Topics that I tend to discuss, like in terms of like where faith and your eating disorder or eating, you know, your recovery intersects, often talk about things like identity and idolatry. And so, you know, idolatry being like anything that we are focusing on or thinking on or dwelling on more than we're dwelling on Christ. And so, I mean, let's face it, like we all have idols that we, you know, that we deal with. Um, But when it comes to eating disorders, sometimes that can be 
appearance or it can be, um, for some people it's not appearance at all, it's just control. Right. Um, and it can be, um, you know, just keeping it all together and just wanting mm -hmm. to do it a certain way. Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that kind of play into that, but, um, but really it's, um, it's, I think the process is like, okay, is this an idol for me and laying down an idol and, and kind of finding your identity in Christ and being able to really like, I feel like that all sounds really nice and easy and it's, it's not, <laughs> but, um, but I think that that's a huge part of, of what recovery can look like and, and finding freedom in Christ in that. And I think that was what was so important to me is to know that like coming to work with you or trying to get help wasn't going to be necessarily a five-step program to getting better, but it was like, there is freedom for people. That doesn't mean that God takes away the thorn and everyone's flesh. So there's some people that they may struggle with this, but yeah. knowing that there's hope for freedom and that this is a faith topic, like it really is. Like you said, if this is, yeah. if your faith is foundational, it's going to be foundational in your recovery. And so, but it's something it's like, if we're not fighting for it, it's going to be winning against us. And so I've definitely seen seasons of my life where I am fighting it very hard with lots of support and I see the most freedom then. And then when I back off, I see, you know, the slippery slope of falling back into temptation of those struggles that the culture says are normal. And you start to believe those thoughts again. Right. And I think to your point, and I should have said this as well, but you know, I think for some people, like, you know, they have experiences where they, they put a lot into their recovery and then they kind of have a shift and it's like, you know, it's something that they kind of manage, but like they're, they experience freedom from it. Mm -hmm. There are also people who, you know, just like someone that maybe struggles with anxiety or depression, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, you have seasons where you kind of come in and out of it, where, you know, depending on what's going on in your life, like, you know, someone might have, you know, certain stressors that come up. And so, you know, you've been in recovery from an eating disorder, and then you have all these things happen, maybe you're grieving, or maybe you have, uh, you lose your job, or, you know, different things happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ultimately, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that eating disorders tend to be a way that people cope with difficult things. And so it's not just about, you know, losing weight or getting thin or um, it can be, it's, it's a coping skill. It's not a, it's not a healthy coping skill. It's not a, a good coping skill, but it's a coping skill. And so, you know, during stressful seasons, it's something that you can go back to like as kind of a default, like, oh man, like everything's falling apart. I'm going to find solace in this. Um, so kind of the idea is that you learn skills so that if and when you find yourself in that position, you know what to do and you know what to go back to. So it's not that you find freedom and nev might never, ever, ever even think about the eating disorder again. It's yeah. just that you are equipped with skills mm -hmm. and support to move forward, keeping and hopefully maintaining that level of freedom. So kind of getting deeper into this and we don't have a ton of time, but that's why we're going to do this again next week. Um, so what would you say, are there words, topics, or ideas that you would say to avoid for people who struggle? 
Um, Because I I think that the concept of like, if my fear is snakes, then exposure to snakes can be really helpful to overcoming that. And if I put myself in a bubble where snakes never get into it, then it's, I've never really faced the fear. So, I mean, yes, there are triggers and maybe me working full time in a gym wouldn't be very helpful for me. Right. But avoiding the gym at all costs may not be helpful either. So do you have thoughts on what where you would say avoidance would be healthy? Yeah. So I think it really depends on each individual. And mm-hmm. so you know, that's a little bit harder. Um, you know, but what I would say for some people, like if the gym has been a huge part of their eating disorder, like over exercise, like they've been at the gym a lot, they're, you know, then part of their recovery might be finding other ways to move. That doesn't happen. And for someone who may, you know, struggle, but you know, maybe the gym was not a huge part of their eating disorder, then the gym would be perfectly reasonable as long as that can, you know, they can maintain their recovery within that context. Again, like you said, like there's really no way to avoid a lot of these things because they're so prevalent. Like so much of our culture is about like, you know how many calories is this or how like are you on the paleo diet or are you do you do keto or like do you are you gluten-free and like these are big topics that like people spend a lot of time and energy and you know and i don't there's no disrespect to any any of that but i think that you know it's really important to be mindful of like the conversations and the people that you're surrounding yourself with to be able to stay balance. So if you're around people that are constantly talking about calories or diets, or you might need to take a little bit of a step back from those friendships, or you might say to them, Hey, like, you know, let me tell you about what I'm going through. Let me share with you a way that you can support me. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's different ways to handle that. But I think that um, calories, numbers, like anything that's measurable, those often tend to be triggers for people with eating disorders. And I think for me, like personally, things that I started to avoid or distance myself from was like obsessing over the food label. So it's there. It's not a rule that I can't look at it, but I'm not going to spend a ton of time obsessing over it. Um, now I'm looking more at the ingredients, you know, for my kids to make sure sugar is not the first ingredient, you know, like, but before it was like how many calories and portion size. So just, you know, trying to back away from that a bit. And then, you know, I've said this before, like the magazines at the grocery store, those have never been helpful for me, all the different diets that the celebrities are on and all the images of them. So I steer very, very clear of most magazines in general. Um, And then a lot of shows that can be triggers for me. That doesn't mean that I can't watch a show, but knowing I need to either be on guard or be speaking truth because they could send me down a road I don't want to go on. So like being aware of that, but then also being respectful of people who are maybe doing a specific meal plan because they're trying to lose weight because that's the best thing for their health. You know, it's like, for a while, I felt angry at anyone who was dieting because I'm like, you're making me struggle. And it's like, well, no, that might be really good for them. And I need to be okay with that. But I might not get into a long conversation with them about their meal plan because it's not super helpful for me right now. I think you raise a good point. I think input is really important. Like what you input is like so key. So like if you're, you know, at 
reading magazines or looking at images that could even be on social media. Like there's Instagram accounts that you follow that where you see pictures of people and you look at them and every time you see them, you feel bad about yourself or your triggers you into wanting to lose weight or, you know, um, just there are so many, you know, outlets where you can be kind of uh, consuming um, images and, and information. And so just being really mindful of that, I think is huge. Um, and if you need to make adjustments, you make adjustments. Um, right. so. And I would think like this year going into holiday season of Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's going to look very different. But um what would you say to someone who's like entering into the this holiday season um, that struggles with eating disorder or body image and then knowing that everyone's going to be making New Year's resolutions and discussing their diet for the new year? Like how does an eating disorder, a person who struggles with that, navigate those situations? Yeah. So this is something I talk a lot about with clients. And I think one of the um, things that I often encourage is, you know, celebrations are good, right? Mm-hmm. Like we see celebrations all throughout the Bible and they yeah. have food and that's great. And God made us to enjoy. And so I think that one of the things that is so important is not treating it though. Like, you know, like for example, Thanksgiving, that's a big one. So people will say like, Oh, I'm going to like not eat all day and we'll just eat a big meal at two o'clock and it'll be awesome. And you know, and it's like, I, I just encourage people to treat it like another day, like mm-hmm. celebrate with like special food that you don't always eat, every, you know, all throughout the year, you know, cranberries or whatever you, whatever you like to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something where maybe you would still wake up and have breakfast and you would still have lunch and maybe you have your Thanksgiving dinner or you have, you know, if your family eats in the middle of the afternoon, you still maybe eat a snack instead of having lunch. And then you have your, you know, kind of a late lunch and you still have dinner and So you treat it like another day and you don't like restrict or try to compensate for it. And then I think as far as New Year's resolutions go, I think it is a very difficult time of year to avoid diet talk. And I think one thing that I encourage people is that in I encourage them in is that like you only have control over you. And so like, you know, what can you contribute to the dialogue that is positive? So, okay, maybe someone wants to diet. Okay. Well, maybe that's not where you want to put your energy, but what sort of thing do you want to grow in or what is valuable to you and how can you maybe add some value to that conversation as opposed to something that maybe um, it feels more triggering or negative or, you know, so that's one way to look at it. And there's more we could say about that, but I know we're running close to time. So, well, we're going to meet again next week. So if this was helpful to you or interesting, please join Meredith and I again next Wednesday, one thirty to two. And we're going to talk, we're going to shift it a little bit to talk about how we can help avoid our kids from entering into the struggle with eating disorder. So we're going to try and focus a little bit more on our children. And so just as a little teaser, Meredith, one question I had was, what encouragement would you give to the moms who have daughters that may be concerned that this would negatively influence them toward a similar struggle? maybe because they've struggled or they just see it in our culture. And we'll talk way more about that next week, but could you give us a little teaser before we go? Yeah, absolutely. So I love to talk about this. Um, So what I'll say though is, you know, kids are like sponges. So they Mm -hmm. see us, they hear us, they, they notice. And so 
um, it's so important that you are mindful of how you um, how you talk about your body, how you talk about other people's bodies. I would even say like, you know, there isn't really a need to talk about other people's bodies. Just how you, you know, sit down and eat what you're eating, what you don't eat around your child or what you do eat or, you know, certain rules around food and, and things of that nature. I think just being really mindful that like what you say and what you do, it influences. And just to be really clear, an eating disorder, like I said, it has many different causes. So if your child does develop an eating disorder, it's not your fault. So it's not like you have the power to make or break, you know, their, their mm -hmm. mental health. Um, but you can contribute. There are things that you can do to, um, I think, create maybe a more balanced environment that, that um, enables them to have a healthier relationship with their body and food. And that's one of them, just being positive and strong in yourself, um, mm -hmm. not in yourself, in Christ, but in your view and how you and how you model that. So that's maybe just a little snippet. We can talk more. I always felt like once I found out I was having a daughter, my first child, I thought, gosh, I want to fight this battle sooner rather than later yeah. so that she's not exposed to me in the throes of it and wanting her to see freedom. And I know we'll talk about it next week too, but just like the words I love when she says, mommy, is this a food that makes me healthy and strong? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I love that language versus is this a food that makes me fat or is this a, a bad food? We just don't use that language. Um, yes, I'm hypersensitive to those, that type of language, but it's like, I love her asking, is this a, an, a sometimes food or is this an always food? Like learning about it, fueling our body and mm -hmm. trying to teach her that versus um, thinking foods attributed to us being good or bad or um, beautiful or not, all those things. I love that. So we'll talk more next week. But if, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, Meredith, what is the best way for them to to find you? Yeah. you. So I have a website and through my website, you can reach out via email. Uh, my email address is on my site. So you can contact me You can call if you ever have questions, even if you're not interested in counseling, um, feel free to reach out. Her website, MeredithStokeyLPC.com. MeredithStokeyLPC.com. You can find her there. Um, and then again, join us next week because we're going to dig deeper into this just in helping navigate this with our kids. So join us back. But thanks so much, Meredith, for your time. And I'll see you next week. Thank you, Ashley. All right. See you. Bye. Thank you for joining me today. And if you connected with something that was said, I hope you will share this with a friend. Subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for sharing this journey with me at home where it all begins.